This week on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture, Father Ryan McKenless talks about resacralizing the Mass. Should the Mass be celebrated within a time frame? Is Latin part of the Mass? What is the faithful supposed to bring to Mass? Well, let's find out. Here's Father Ryan McKinless being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. We're going to welcome in Father Ryan McCandless. Father Ryan is from Wichita, but came to the Salina Diocese as a college student at K-State, involved in as a student at St. Isidore's Catholic Student Center, eventually led him into the seminary. He attended St. John Vianney Theological Seminary in Denver and later to St. Meinrad Seminary and School of Theology in St. Meinrad, Indiana. Graduated in 2017 and was ordained to the priesthood June 3rd of that year. After serving two years as the parochial vicar at the Student Center in Manhattan, he came to Hayes to serve as parochial vicar of St. Joseph Church and assistant chaplain at Como Catholic Campus Center at Fort Hayes State University, as well as the chaplain at TMP Marion Junior Senior High School. And he serves as the spiritual advisor and a board member of Divine Mercy Radio. Welcome in, Father Ryan McCandless. Welcome, Thank Father. You. Thank you, Ken. Great to have you here. We're going to talk about resacralizing the Mass today. And so let's talk about that a little bit. It's, so um, given your interest in the liturgy and perhaps some insight into our church's history of the Mass, what do you think will be the effect from this new experience of the Mass, especially regarding how the faithful and the priests view the Mass as a sacred event? What do you think that this, or well, hope to maybe see what it does? Yeah, well, I, that's what I'm looking forward to is, you know, are we going to get our, our churches packed again, you know? Um, but... We'll see the suspension uh, hopefully lifted soon. Um, hopefully this week we'll get something from our, our bishop um, to to discuss that and kind of what kind of measures we we can look forward to. But uh, this this uh, this time though um, has been really interesting because you know at least we've we've been uh, drawn into the mass. Uh, Sarah was leaving. She was talking about how amazing it was, how the all the parishes kind of flipped on this dime, um, so to say, to get the mass streaming to people, mm-hmm. and uh, how how people immediately were were asking priests, when is this going to uh, come back? What's going on? We really want the the Eucharist, and so I I think it, it really highlights this this need for us as Catholics to have Christ materialized in front of us within the Eucharist. And I know that um, Father Brian, my pastor, Father Brian Lager will be on tomorrow and he'll talk about uh, reverence in the Eucharist. Uh, But I I was kind of more focusing on on the Mass and how kind of looking forward to to coming back to it. Um, uh, During Holy Week on uh, Holy Holy Week, uh, sorry, not Holy Week, it was actually during the octave of of Easter Friday, Pope Francis had a homily, and he gave a homily where he talked about a, a bishop kind of warning him, saying, be careful, you know, to, to have Mass uh, during Holy Week in an uncrowded St. Peter's. And because what he was highlighting to the Pope was this idea that we are, we are communal, that we need to be gathered together. And so the Pope really took that in reflection, and he really said, you know, yeah, we can— we could become complacent just sitting 
in our homes, kind of in this tunnel vision in a virtual way watching the mass. And we become familiar with that instead of going out to the people. And so he says the concrete stuff, he says he says that, that the church, the sacraments and the people are concrete. And we need to be able to come out of our tunnel of that virtual and step into the real with a rela- relationship that's steeped in a familiarity with Christ that includes the community and the sacraments. And so uh, this is really what we've been invited to do as Catholics um, is, is, is this importance of the body of Christ with its members. And my hope then is that the faithful are renewed in their spiritual life at home to see that the Mass being so, uh, celebrated is, is still communicating to us this reality of the sacred Paschal mystery, that it's words and actions that we understand, and they've been given to us in English, but, there's, but that being at Mass as a mere spectator is actually insufficient, mm. and that we priests and the lay faithful, we need to step out of that tunnel and step into the Mass as this sacred event where we are fully active and participating with, with the whole self. We're going to talk about that. The, you mentioned the fact that being at Mass as a mere spectator is insufficient. And uh, this phrase is actually brought up. It's associated with Second Vatican Council's liturgical document, Sacrosanctum Concilium. And I know that's one we had to read, and it's mm-hmm. tougher to say than it was to read for me. Uh, it's a phrase that's mentioned 11 times throughout the document, calling for the need for the laity uh, to have full active participation. And so what's meant by this phrase, and how is it helpful to, for a person coming to Mass? Yes, uh, so Sacrosanctum Concilium is the, the, the document in, um, that was a post-conciliar document that talks about the sacred liturgy. And Sacrosanctum Concilium means this sacred Council. They came together. They understood this as a as a, a sacred thing that that they've been they put themselves aside to to discuss these things. And so, this document uh, is really a beautiful testament of the church envisioning the Christian faithful coming to the Eucharistic celebration as what we Catholics know and call the Eucharist as the source and summit of our faith. Uh, it, it states in um, I think it's paragraph ten. Uh, it states that. The summit toward which the activity of the church is directed, but also as the source or font from which everything is flowing out of. Mm-hmm. And, and this, this tells us that it also tells us that the aim and object of apostolic works is that all who are made children of God by faith and baptism should come together to praise God in the midst of his church and to take part in the sacrifice and to eat the Lord's Supper. And so this is very much in that document, it's it's right up front. It says, you, you come together to prepare yourself for the sacrifice and to partake in the Lord's Supper. And I think this next paragraph, paragraph 11, is is where um, it, it really, what it really means to partake in this liturgy and its full effect. Uh, 57 years ago, when this document was written, I, I believe that this is really significant for us in our time. Uh, because we've been asked to, you know, for um, about six weeks now to to remain, um, you know, abstain from receiving the Eucharist. And so this paragraph states, it is necessary that the faithful come to it with proper dispositions, that their minds should be attuned to their voices, and that they should cooperate with divine grace, lest they receive it in vain. 
so that's the faithful coming to it. And the very next sentence actually talks about how the priest then, uh, the pastor of souls must therefore realize when the liturgy is celebrated, something more is required than the mere observation of the laws governing valid and licit celebration. It is their duty also to ensure that the faithful take part fully aware of what they are doing, actively engaged in the rite, and enriched by its effects. So essentially the purpose of the document was to, to promote how the liturgy focuses on the people being fully aware of what is going on in the sacrifice of the Mass. And it's more than just responding to the priest and following the rubrics and saying the right things. Rather, it's, it's knowing why you're responding back to the priest and knowing why he's doing what he's doing. And so that being fully active and participating in the Mass is helpful in that it calls the people to listen. And what has been helpful with the, the Novus Ordo, uh, the, the new order of the Mass that we have now, is that it was proposed by the Second Vatican Council to, to be able to have a language that's accessible. So we've got the vernacular, the mm -hmm. English language for us here in America. And so now we, are, we actually have the Mass a little bit more accessible to us. And so uh, I invite the, the faithful to listen, listen to, to what the prayers are saying, listen to the readings, listen to what's being asked of you in the, in the Mass. So when the, when the priest lifts up the host and says, behold the Lamb of God, look up, behold him. And, uh, and then I ask, you know, to, to just listen and, and, and when you're listening, you're able to give of yourself. So uh, give your mind and body to, the, to, the, to that. And so my hope is, is that with being away from the mass and then coming, coming to hear it more that they, they, they kind of want to come and actually just you know, I, I really want to listen and try to figure out what is being said of me and being asked of me to to be renewed in my heart. So that's what full and active participation is, is is this entire activity of of yourself coming to the church and then being asked to go out. So to to give you apostolic zeal to evangelize mm. and to give you healing remedy for your sins, to give you a knowledge of God's presence in others and to give you hope in the resurrection to come. So that's what I, I, I believe that, the, that our, our liturgy is really focusing on, is that, that actualization of who you truly are uh, within the body of Christ. Yeah. The Catholic faith is such a beautiful faith, and we have the traditions, and we have the, the rituals and everything we go through, but sometimes the danger in that, and what you're really alluding to, is the fact that we can sometimes go through the motions, and right. how, how we can recapture that and get that back, and kind of as you alluded to as well, your hope is, as people are able to come back to Mass and celebrate as a full community, seeing that active participation really start to take hold. Well, we've talking about we've talked about the mass in in light of the current times through the lens of the Second Vatican Council and the council's providence did bring about a change in the greater use of the vernacular so we could participate in the liturgy with better awareness. Yet being able to watch the Mass through various ways, it's been interesting to see the different parishes handle how they handle the Mass through this medium. Some uh, have the Mass offered with a full choir, with lectors, people responding, and sometimes it's just only the priest doing pretty much everything. And, and you know, I know even our, our, our Archbishop, he does his own Mass. He's by himself, basically. Before the coronavirus, one could attend a Mass in a different parish and almost see a different personality in the Mass. So is there a type of 
a bare minimum or a complete maximum to the Mass where things that can be taken out or added. Let's talk about that and how the Second Vatican Council documents speak about this. Okay. Uh, so almost immediately when the when the Mass went online, uh, it, <laughs> Father Brian and I were just looking at, you know, what – what are they offering? What are other parishes offering? What are daily mass look like? You know, there were there were questions that we were asking. You know, like um, what what is being shown on screen? And so uh, we've really seen kind of a hodgepodge of offerings uh, between priests, younger priests who are a little bit more tech savvy. Some of our older priests have had a had to have a little bit of a learning curve on this. Uh, but like I said, we've we kind of moved on a dime, and so we we try to figure out what was going on essentially. And uh, but it was kind of came down to these questions of you know, um, well, do we show the altar or the and the ambo or uh, just the altar with the lectionary on it? You know what? And it depended on how many people were uh, were willing to come and help and and whatnot, and and just kind of the priest coming out and you know asking for help and. And trying to stick with within what was given to us by the by the liturgy, and but what happened though is we it, it kind of came out where where um, uh, there's this phrase it's called JTM just the mass, and sometimes it, uh, you would you would hear this from college students who would go to a mass uh, to a, a priest and he would say mass like really super quick it was underneath under 20 minutes and there was really no homily uh, and and they would just call it JTM and just the mass and and I say that unfortunately uh, that in some ways we're seeing that in on online a little bit uh, because. Uh, we, we, do we really want to give God the minimum, especially when he gives us this gift of the liturgy? Mm. And so at the moment, though, times are, are calling for us to kind of try to make the most out of our situation we are in. Uh, and, and I think this question gets to the heart of the matter of what makes the Mass the Mass. Uh, in fact, this this past weekend or just on Sunday, we heard the story of the road to Emmaus, and I know a lot of Catholics have heard this that the road to Emmaus is is the the outline for what the Mass is. Is we hear the Scripture on the the two uh, disciples are walking along, and Jesus comes up and he goes into Scripture, and from that they go in deeper into. Uh, what is what is the meaning and the fulfillment of Christ in the Scripture? And so they walk along and they walk along, and then they get to the breaking of the bread. And so there's those two two kind of things that are we we revolve around is the where the the two altars, so to say, where the altar of the Word and the altar of the the breaking of the bread which is the Eucharist, the altar of the Eucharist. And so we have the, the liturgy of the Word and the liturgy of the, of the Eucharist, uh, which is the actual Last Supper narrative commanded by Jesus, and that brings about Christ's presence there. Uh, and I would say that, that the, though the Mass is structured around this idea of the two tables, one of the Word and one of the altar, it, it calls for a heightened sensibility of what we are doing and moving toward God's in each of these. And so around these two parts, there are other various elements that prepare us to enter into those realities. And they go into a whole liturgical action to make it more solemn and less earthly. So to bring the faithful to enter into a heavenly worship 
of God. Uh, so there are other elements that, that have been handed on to us from ancient understanding of worship. The mass just didn't get formulated out of thin air and drop it down into us. It, it was actually given to us historically, and, and it has some ancient things that have been passed on to us. And so there are traditions that we follow, uh, and so that there's an amount of respect and reverence and all that is due to it. Uh, so there, and, and that they are there for a reason, and we're asked to go through them for that reason. So as for the documents, uh, the Second Vatican Council uh, document, Sacrum Sanctum Concilium, was helpful in giving us areas of, of potential for reform of the Mass and other liturgical rites. It didn't just focus on the Mass, it focused on other things as well. And what this document intended was to give principles to stick to when revising the Mass. It wanted due care to be taken in preserving the substance of the rites to discard unnecessary elements and restore elements that suffered injury through accidents of history. And the greatest help of the document, and uh, I believe this to be true today, was the overall opening up of the lavish treasure of the Bible. And so it stuck to uh, the biblical text as much as possible. And so the church also then gives us sacred texts that help the priests perform the rituals namely the Roman Missal and the Lectionary. And so we've, we've got those, those two uh, books that are given to us at the Mass. And within the Roman Missal, there can actually be found the general instructions that give the priest directives in order to carry out the celebration of the Eucharist. And so the priest then is to, called to follow them, and then he takes into account adaptations and choices within the rites. There are certain things that he can, he can choose from, like the penitential rite. There are actually three different penitential rites that you could go into. And so the priest really kind of, he, he could command that by way of directing the prayers in, in those sense. Uh, and, and the parish kind of picks up on that. But even here within the germ, the priest then is told that he is the servant of the sacred liturgy, and that he himself is not permitted on his own initiative to add or to remove or to change anything in the celebration of the Mass. And this little reminder is actually, within the germ, actually comes from Sacrosanctum Concilium, so mm -hmm. uh, that, that document. And so, and then there's, there's also other things that came after the, um, the post-conciliar document. There are other encyclicals that have been written uh, and then there's other documents. There are, there are actually two other um, books of instruction that kind of help with immediate governing of right worship. Uh, it's the Ordo and the can and Canon Law. And the Ordo is uh, it's a little instruction book that uh, that is specific to a region, and it helps determine regulation of liturgy in accordance with liturgical seasons and the daily celebration of the Mass in particular place. And then there's canon law that pertains to the universals and what is permitted by the ordinary uh, or the bishop of the diocese to uh, allow or uh, if there's any, any penalties that need to be taken, uh, he has that opp opportunity with that. Given that the church provides the faithful with directions on how to worship and why, why is it so important for us to be on the same page, um, so to say, when it comes to worshiping God and the Roman Catholic Latin rite? So share your thoughts on that. If sure. You uh, so the, the Catholic Church uh, lawfully recognizes other rites. These are like the Ambrosian rites, the um, Melkite rite. There are um, 
I should remember how many there are, but there are other liturgical traditions that have, that have arose throughout the spread of Christianity within the world. And uh, each of these holds uh, onto a, a culturally enriched liturgy, uh, but never to the detriment of abolishing the people or the culture, um, changing the, those immutable and divinely instituted parts safeguarded by the church. And so... I actually encourage people to to look more into this uh, uh, into in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, uh, number twelve hundred to twelve oh nine. There's there's some information about the liturgical rites recognized by the Catholic, by the Roman Catholic Church, and uh, it it speaks about enculturation. Uh, and I I actually have a friend. He's probably watching right now. He's he's in Rome right now, and he could speak to you more about the enculturation uh, within the liturgy, um, but. Uh, the importance of this this question that that you asked about why is it important for us to be on the same page within the the Roman Catholic Latin Rite uh, is is because of this idea of well of community that we're we're gathered together in that common prayer and that we're worshiping together the same God and uh, it, it's kind of funny because I, I was thinking about when I so I prepared the questions, uh, but when I w- was writing this this question, I'm like, uh, the Roman Catholic Latin Rite or the it, it, the Roman Catholic Church of the Latin Rite, it's all redundant because Roman actually means Latin, mm. so it's the 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 Latin the the Roman Rite, and so it, the language of the Universal Church is Latin. And our liturgy contains at its core these Latin elements that form a, a, a structure of the ritual. So uh, we have built into the, the culture of the Catholic Church the Roman roots grounded in it by St. Peter and St. Paul. Uh, and so there's actually this, there's a threefold understanding uh, that is taught by the church in uh, three Latin phrases, and I'm, I'm sh- sure you've heard these before, uh, lex orandi, lex credendi, and lex vivendi. Mm-hmm. And so these are these are Latin phrases. Lex uh, is means law, orandi, credendi, and vivendi. Orandi is prayer. Credendi means belief, like credo, the creed. And vivendi, life, vive, you know, uh, even, even Spanish gets to this, right? But in English, so this, this, these phrases, the law of prayer is the law of belief, and it leads to a law of living. And so essentially what it means is we pray what we believe, and then we live what we pray and believe. And so what we believe as Catholics are established in the prayers of the Mass. And so understandably, being on that same page will allow us to stay one united as Jesus intended us to be. Uh, this is so that we, we don't place ourselves into different sects and divisions or in constant tension with each member of the church. Historically, even prior to the Protestant Reformation, the church wielded liturgical practice in a uniform way so to ward off any heretical teachings uh, that were placed into prayers. Uh, then the Council of Trent in the 16th century reinforced the Roman liturgy in a disciplined manner, safeguarding the whole ritual from outside influences. And so now the post-conciliar church, that is the church after the Second Vatican Council, we have a liturgy that has been opened up to better accommodate our era and our understanding, but it still has 
to be kept safe. And it still has to protect the central understanding that we Catholics believe about our triune God and the gift given to us by our God in the Eucharist. So that's definitely something that I really want to, to iterate is that Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, Lex Vivendi is, is very important for us as Catholics to, to live out of. We need to take a short break right now, but stay tuned to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or Amazon Echo, please know we'll be right back with more with Father Ryan McKinless. We're back on Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. Father Ryan McKinless. Resacralizing the Mass. N. Billinger conducts the interview. We're talking with Father Ryan McKinless. Let's talk about, well, it obviously makes sense that the Church wants to stay united in her prayers. Any thoughts on how you want to share how the liturgy has often become a battleground? I mean, we know there's a lot of different things going on, especially with regarding the new rite of the Mass that we celebrate today, and obviously different opinions on different things that happen in the Mass, but share some of that with us. Sure. Uh, man, there's there's so many different facets that I, I can go into, and so many thoughts that I have on the Mass. And uh, what I believe happened when the Novus Ordo uh, was being formulated and then introduced, there were um, many misunderstandings uh, about certain elements and the follow-through in documents and implement- implementation of the rights. Uh, there were there were a less than excited people with it, and then there were some who were really excited about it uh, because there were there were different attitudes throughout the church, and, and they were communicating these various opinions. And you can you could pick it up today as well, um, such as Latin is a dead language, um, and the council called to abolish it. Well, that's not really true. The council actually s- says that there's a kind of a, a praiseworthy and a pride of place of Latin, and that it it should be preserved. But on the other hand, there's some who who don't like the Novus Ordo, and they believe that it's a man-centered liturgy and that it forgets Christ at the center, and it's completely made up. That's not true either. There are very many uh, elements that have been brought to the forefront, uh, and I, I read that quote. There was actually the quote that I read about how there were things that needed to be taken out of the Mass that were kind of uh, accidentally... Um, added and then things that were taken out that were accidentally taken out. And so the, the new order brought in some elements and, um, and, it, and it focuses on the, the sacrifice. It's the same sacrifice. And so uh, I, I believe, though, that we as a church have become divided over these elements of the liturgy and, and we've made it into a battleground based on preferences, taste, convenience, comfortability, familiarity, and uh, it's kind of born a, a fruit of mediocrity or also a kind of a, a vehemence in a way where we insist that this is the only way that it should be celebrated. And uh, the, the mass has become shaped by uh, 
personality of the priest, the personality of, of, of the people. Uh, and then there's there's personal preferences of, of, par- of parishioners. And then it's interspersed with that's just what we do or this is what has been commanded to us. And, and sometimes we set up straw men uh, arguments or ad hominem attacks and, and, and we, we just destroy people. <laughs> we, and then we de- in, in, inevitably we destroy the, the charity that we're asked to have in, in, in coming together as a community. And so uh, what, what happens though is we, we push and insist into shaping the liturgy into our mold or preconceived notions, when instead what ought to be happening is that we're shaped by the liturgy. And so the the Second Vatican Council is misunderstood, especially in regards to the liturgy, and is it's often used as a scapegoat for some to reject the new liturgy as an abomination and cling to the extraordinary form as a true form of the Mass, somewhat to the detriment of, of charity offered to others. But on the other hand, there are uh, people who use the, the, the council as a blanket license um, distributed liberally to add whatever is necessary to draw people into whatever form of the mass happens to take that day based on kind of sentiments or feelings. Mm. Um, so to both, though, I say the reality is the Novos Ordo is what the church gives us. It is kind of what we morally are called to do. And it's provided for our worship, and it needs to be taken seriously as a legitimate form of worship. And personally, for myself, I I grew up with the Novos Ordo. And the reality of Jesus being transubstantiated at every Mass that I've been to for the 38 years of my life is that truth that, that drew me in. And it's the core and tenet understanding of the body of Christ as that source and summit. That's what I want to climb up to. That's what I want to be drawn out from. And it was, it was at that elevation of the Eucharist at Mass by the priests that really profoundly drew me into the priesthood. And it, it wasn't the dramatic showing of the, of the Eucharist by uh, a priest speaking the narrative and looking me in the eye as I'm, as I'm watching it uh, that, that pulled me in. It wasn't the lift, it wasn't the uh, the barely audible Latin words spoken by a priest who is reverently bowing and doing during the consecration narrative. It was the elevation of the host. It was the call of the liturgy for all of the people to adore the Lord at the consecration. So that's what I was being pulled to. Both of these expressions that I talk about are expressions of the same words of Christ done by a validly ordained priest, and both of them present the elevation. And and so I just say, look at Jesus, adore him. That's what we're called mm-hmm. to do. And they're they're saying the words, and this comes about. We believe that. That's a principle of of the, uh, of the church is that we are speaking Jesus's words, and and he is making himself present by the virtue of his priest ordained validly into his priesthood. Uh, so it, it's, it's just a beautiful, um, beautiful thing to really think about. Uh, for, for me personally, and, and you know, I challenge everybody to, to really just you know, look, at, look at Jesus uh, at the Mass. And we want to talk about 
and I know there's this because there are obviously churches that are still doing the old Latin uh, form of the Mass. But in, in 2007, Pope Benedict removed the censure from the Tridentine liturgy on the extraordinary form of the Mass, or as many call it now, the traditional Latin Mass. What was his reasoning for doing that? So um, what Benedict was doing in 2007 was that he was expanding and simplifying permissions that were asked prior to um, – it was, it was actually by Pope John Paul II, who – uh, he he restored the use of the 1962 missal, and uh, that was promulgated by Saint John uh, the 23rd, Pope Saint John the 23rd, and uh, that that promulgation back. Um, anyways, there he he came in and he just simplified the permission, and he wanted to show that uh, that the liturgy prior to the Second Vatican Council was still efficacious. He, uh, that there were people who, who wanted to uh, still celebrate that, who were actually still celebrating that, and wanted to be in, in line with Rome, that, that the censure was really not necessary. Uh, but what, what uh, Benedict wanted to, to do, and, and what he says in this, is uh, that he wanted to have a, um, a spirit of a, a human, hermeneutic of continuity, that there wasn't a rupture with Vatican II, uh, and, and that there is, uh, that, that the changes in the form of the Mass uh, deemed in 1962 um, or past that were still in uh, a continuous reform. And so uh, what, what Benedict says is, he says that that, that uh, old rite is actually, or the extraordinary form, as he he calls it, is a precious treasure to be preserved, and that it was the action of the church's worship in the past, and it still is efficacious. It still is effective in bringing about the body and blood of Christ, and so he he really wanted to 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 show that the faithful have this uh, a offered to them. So uh, it, it's, it's something, if you go to the USCCB um, website, you could find uh, the, the document pertaining to the 1962 missile and the promulgation by, um, by Benedict XVI. So, uh, but it's just, he wants you to, to realize that the fruits are still there. Sure. Yeah. Uh, what about, um, obviously, this is, we're in unprecedented times here. What could this time away from the church building uh, help us appreciate when coming back to Mass as a community. We hope that we'll see that happen soon. But what can we do in anticipation of coming back to the Mass, celebrated with people and back to our churches where, uh, you know, there are some things that we, the people, could be aware of when we we're considering uh, the Mass. I mean, obviously, getting away from it, not having the ability to do it, we hope that helps to draw us back even deeper um, but, but share with us your thoughts there. Sure. So um, I, I think some things to be considered is uh, if you look throughout the Bible, there is always this need of restoration. There is this always this callback of God to his people and the people in response to God. And the people kind of forget and they need to be reminded. There's always a restoration process that's happening. And I, I think about this in, in terms of uh, – when David came and he 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 had the 
his palace made and the, the kingdom of Israel was really set well. And then Solomon, his son, came to reign and uh, he, he did some really great stuff. He built the temple uh, and uh, allowed God to, to reside there instead of in a tent. And But what happened, though, is even under Solomon, uh, the Israelites then fell into idolatry. And then afterwards, there were many years of when Solomon, after Solomon died, uh, there were different people who were taking over the throne. The, the kingdom of Israel um, <clears throat> divided into, a, into the northern and southern kingdoms. So there was essentially two places uh, and, uh, and the Israelites just kind of fell into idolatry. And after so many sufferings with bad kings and several years, uh, there came a, a king in the Davidic line in Judah named Josiah. And he came to reign at the, year, at, at the age of eight. But when he became of age, he at, at 18, it says that at, in his 18th year, uh, he gave money that was given to him uh, it was it was actually metal uh, work, and he he decided to give it to the temple to have it be um, put back into to restoration. It was in kind of some disrepair. That's how long it had been um, since it was built, and so he he had some metal given to his uh, his uh, messenger named Shapen, and Shapen goes. And uh, he, he takes that metal, gives it to the high priest, Hilkiah, and the high priest then gives Shapen back a message and says, here, give this to, uh, to the king of Judah, Josiah. And he says, I found the book of the law in the temple of the Lord. And it says, when Josiah heard the contents of the book of the law, he tore his garments and then proclaimed, go and consult the Lord for me for the people, for all of Judah, about the stipulation of this book that has been found for the anger of the Lord has been set furiously ablaze against us because our fathers did not obey the stipulations of this book nor fulfill our written obligations. And so what he did was he ordered all the people of Judah and Jerusalem to come together and then he read aloud the entire contents of the book of the covenant to them. And so what came next then is all over... Judah, he came with a, a sweeping reform, and he wiped out all these shrines and high places and altars that were built for idol worship and false gods. And so after making sure that the, uh, that, that idolatry was completely eradicated, uh, Josiah issued a command to the, all the people to observe the Passover of the Lord, their God as it was prescribed in the book of the covenant. So essentially, he comes back to what Moses prescribed in, in the book of Deuteronomy and even throughout like Exodus. And so now I, I tell you this story and it kind of seems drastic uh, because it's like, you know, I, I don't know why we, why the virus hit what God is calling us to, I could speculate, um, but I, I believe that this is something that we need to come back to, uh, is that to, to be prescribed for us the texts that are provided to us, we need to go and observe 
the Passover of the Lord our God, Jesus Christ, as it is given to us by the church, because this is the new covenant of his body and blood. And this is what the mass is. It's the sacrifice. It's the Passover. Uh, what happened in Exodus 12 has is occurred for us here in this time and, and, and age, but it's with Jesus Christ who has been sacrificed. He is the Paschal Lamb who, who was slain for us. And so this is a serious thing that we are, or we are asked to enter into. So what I'd like to do is I, I, I want to offer, like, I think I have five points here um, of some things that we can kind of get back to, uh, to, to be renewed by the Mass. So number one, the Mass is a sacred mystery. Uh, so think of it this way. You come to Mass and you're entering into a holy place. It has been set aside from the world as a place of encounter with God. Uh, I don't have time to talk about architecture and modernism, but uh, if you go to a church and you're staring at a house plant, uh, you're not probably not in heaven. Uh, if you if you are hear the prelude music and it sounds like a Broadway hit musical uh, piece from the 70s or 80s, you're automatically put into a time and you know and you 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 kind of go you should be able to say i'm not in heaven uh you know there there are things that that bring us out of the sacred and put us into the profane and the the mystery then fades uh and, and the mystery isn't that we have no clue about what is going on during the mass what the mystery is is that the fullness is slowly revealed to us and it penetrates our hearts gradually opening up and revealing to us through the actions that are prescribed to us. So the sacred mystery of this is that the mass is a sacrifice. It's once for all, open up, opening up for us a gateway to communicate between heaven and earth precisely because of Jesus' death. So what do you need to offer to God on the altar of the cross? What do you need to put to death when you come to mass? What gets revealed to you about your own self that you need to detach from in order to be attached more to God? What little idols have, have you built up that need to be destroyed? So the mass is a sacred mystery. Second one is the mass has a sacred time. Uh, the mass isn't an hour long on Sundays, nor is it 20 minutes long. The mass occurs in an eternal time slot. Uh, I know a bishop who actually he removes his watch uh, before Mass, and this was actually a practice for um, many bishops or many priests uh, prior to uh, Second Vatican Council, but it was to show that the priest's focus is on the action of the sacrifice. Uh, and so I like to say when we come to Mass, uh, we place ourselves into the room, into the realm outside of the worldly time, and we've broken into the transcendent nature of God. He's invited us into it because of Jesus. Now, I, I know we get worked up and we get anxious about things, uh, but the Mass is to, to bring us into this reality of God is present to us. And that, that brings us to the persistence of the internal now. So the Mass draws us into a reality that is ever present to us, even outside the liturgy, but we often forget about it. So. Uh, think of the, the story of Abraham when he's asked by, by God to go outside and to count the number of the stars in the sky, if he could. 
Yet we've just been told prior to this is that he, it was daylight. And so what we're asked to do is, is to, to sit in the one focus instead of counting the minutes during the mass and sticking to ourselves. Um, we, we have these expectations that, that we need to get rid of. As baptized members of the church, you get to celebrate the mass. Number three, the mass has an ars celebrindi. It's, this is Latin for art of celebration. The mass is a prayer. It's a great and beautiful prayer that includes so many moving parts that it can be done sloppily or maybe a little folksy or done irreverently, especially if we haven't prepared for it. Uh, I remember a young priest, he told me about when he became a pastor in a parish, that his reverence during the mass was noticed by the parishioners and that those same parishioners actually recognized that their musical preferences during the mass seemed to disrupt that reverence. And so what happened beautifully next was that the parish actually worked together to change their music. They wanted to be together in worship. And it, so it takes the whole community to do this, to worship correctly. So I encourage people to, to uh, grab, I, I brought text along with me, of course, uh, and people who are watching on YouTube, uh, grab your Magnificat, grab your Missalette that's in the, in the pew, read the prayers beforehand. Go through them and see what the Eucharistic prayer says, who it's being um, said to. And uh, they're really helpful in guiding us uh, through that. Maybe you even know the prayers. Uh, and maybe you knowingly change some of the words because you don't like the phrasing or the word church provided for it. But the prayers highlight what we believe about God and our relationship to him. So. Just because the world has uh, a gender, gender confusion does not mean that the holiness of God and his revelation to us in Jesus Christ, the Son, has changed. The triune God remains Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Anything that, that removes this revelation is, is kind of detrimental to that Lex Arandi, Lex Credendi. Uh, the fourth one, the Mass is intentionally common worship. This is what we're really looking forward to, is coming together as a family, as the church, as the ecclesia, as, as the gathering of the body of Christ. You know, we, you go to work in order to work with a team of people. Uh, the liturgy means, liturgy, the word liturgy means work of the people. So the church is this mystical body that, that we, are, we are striving for holiness, and we're all going towards that. And we fail sometimes, but Christ continually calls us back. And so we've been away from this for seven weeks. Uh, I, I know that you'll come back and you'll see, see people that um, you, you haven't seen in a while. But I still say just come, uh, you know, 15 minutes before Mass and, and pray and look around and pray quietly. And, and ask, do I know that person? And if I don't, I need to go talk to them after Mass. Prepare yourself for the celebration of the Mass, intentionally giving your intention to God. Um, and I, I have so many other things. I know that time is kind of coming up here on, on the crunch, but uh, I, I ask me questions. I, I can um, make a class up, but um, yeah. So I'm gonna 
end it with those four things uh, just to just to remind ourselves that you know that the that the mass is a sacred mystery, that the mass has a sacred time, that the mass has an Ars Celebrandi, and that mass is intentionally a, a common worship. Yeah. And so we're looking forward to those things for us to to come into uh, and be changed, and to be changed prior to to have that disposition uh, in order to to worship um, together as the body of Christ and receive the body of Christ. Mm-hmm. So, All right. Thank you, Father. Some great stuff there. Uh, Father, close us in prayer and also give us a final blessing, sure. Father, if you would. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Consecration to the Blessed Virgin Mary. My queen and my mother, I give myself entirely to you and in proof of my affection. I give you my eyes, my ears, my tongue, my heart, my whole being without reserve. Since I am your own, keep me and guard me as your property and possession. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to Divine Mercy Radio. Whether you're listening via radio, internet, smartphone app, or on Amazon Echo, we appreciate you tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. If you would like to comment on today's show or have an idea for a future show, please go to D vmercy.com and click on the double-edged sword icon. The comment button is in the middle of the page. And folks, Divine Mercy Radio is needing to raise funds to help with expanding airwaves in Salina and in the Hayes area. If you can help with this project, please go to dvmercy.com and click on Donate. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio 88.1 KVDM Hayes. 88.1 KRTT Great Bend and soon 101.7 KJDM Salina and 105.7 KMDG Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.